Hi everybody, my name is Mike Gould and this is Mike Gould Talks for June the 8th, 2020. Welcome to June everybody, we're halfway through the year, or at least just about halfway through the year. Um, and I think I can speak for everybody when I say thank goodness for that because 2020 has been um, epically bad from the coronavirus pandemic killing thousands of people worldwide. Um, then there's the murder hornets, which I hear a thing. Uh, no more sports, uh, no more movies, all that sort of stuff. But the thing that dethroned the coronavirus in terms of just true awfulness in the last couple weeks um, is also the reason there was no show on June the 1st this past week. Um, and I feel I have an obligation to explain to you all why there was no show last week and also to advocate for a cause that I believe very strongly in. And that is that Black Lives Matter. Um, now, I don't know if you all heard, I'm sure you all did, um, a couple of weeks ago in Minneapolis, an unarmed black man named George Floyd was killed by a member of the Minneapolis Police Department as three other Minneapolis Police Department members looked on. Um, George Floyd had been accused of forging a $20 bill, and the police were called, and they promptly, well, one of them promptly kneeled on George Floyd's neck for almost nine minutes, killing him. They choked him to death. I watched the video of the killing of George Floyd very quickly after it happened, after it was posted to social media. It was one of the most indescribable things I've ever had the misfortune of witnessing, and I am just so terribly sad for the Floyd family that they've had to endure um, this terrible loss. Because... It is so unnecessary, and it is hard to put into words just how inhumane a treatment it must be to be kneeled on as if you are a subordinate class, as if you are, I don't know, it just, it feels like, just describing it just feels dirty, what happened. Um, and this is not an isolated incident. Black people in the United States have been treated like garbage, generally speaking, by the police and just in general. For hundreds of years and to put it bluntly it needs to stop and the police need to start pro uh, stop profiling uh, minorities they need to stop treating black people the way they have been they need to stop using deadly force with as much carelessness as they have been there just needs to be a systemic overhaul in the United States and charities like Black Lives Matter and Reclaim the Block have been doing enormous work in the United States to try and stop this terrible pandemic from from continuing. There are two pandemics going on right now in the United States. There's the coronavirus pandemic, and there is police brutality against black people. Um, on May 31st, I was planning to record uh, episode four of the show. I didn't have an interview uh, planned for that show, so I was just going to do sort of a an ad hoc 50 minutes an hour show uh, where I would just talk about some stuff and tell some jokes and we'd all have a great time. Um, and then it came to that and I was watching all the protests on TV and I was just feeling so moved by the freedom of speech and demonstration being uh, displayed by those brave protesters in the States and it just felt like the exact wrong time to release a comedy show. Um, it just didn't feel right at all. And so instead, the next day on June 1st, when the show was supposed to come out, I went to the Black Lives Matter protest uh, in downtown Calgary. 
Um, and I got to say, I was very proud of everybody who wore a mask. The vast majority of people wore masks to that protest. It was fantastic. And it was incredibly powerful. And seeing all the people in America demonstrating peacefully and just standing up for what they believe in, um, it's just so powerful. And to the people who are angry at the people who are being violent in these protests, I will say this. I've seen a bunch of people talking about how violence is never the answer. Um, I'm not going to comment on whether violence is the answer here, but all I will say is that property can be replaced. Lives can't. And to the people who have said, well, black lives matter, yeah, but uh, it's terrible that they're looting and, and vandalizing stores. You have it backwards. What you should be saying is, yeah, it's not great that they're looting stores, but black lives do matter. You have to consider the priorities here, okay? Um, you have to consider that, sure, property damage is, you know, maybe not the ideal thing, but death, unforced death caused by a man kneeling on top of a black man as he suffocated, crying out for his mother, that's the problem here. The problem isn't that Target is getting broken into. The problem is that people are dying and people are getting hurt. Okay? That has to be at the forefront of any discussion here about the protests. The protests are, the, are not the problem. They are the aftermath of the problem. The problem is the police recklessly endangering people when their motto is to serve and protect. Right now, they are not serving anybody but themselves, and they aren't protecting anybody. So that is the problem. The problem is not the looting. It is the death, okay? And also, yes, the saying is Black Lives Matter. The saying is not only Black Lives Matter, and I think that's important because I've seen a lot of people saying, well, black lives matter, yeah, but all lives matter. And that's missing the point, okay? All lives do matter. Yeah, all lives matter, okay? I'm not going to disagree with that. But right now, the lives that are being oppressed and the lives that are being targeted are black lives. And that is something, that is a very important distinction. Right now, people are fighting for black lives to matter, for black lives to be necessary, there are very different dynamics at play here. It's like straight pride. You know, people had to fight for gay rights, okay? Gay rights were not given to them. Straight rights have always been given to people. White privilege has always been given to people. Black privilege has always had to be fought for. That is a that is the distinction. And I don't know, if you can't recognize that, just you gotta do some research, okay? Um, because I, I'm sorry, but it's right there. You have to understand this, okay? Black Lives Matter. I encourage you to donate to Black Lives Matter as much as you can. Please. They are they are just, they need your help. Uh, Reclaim the Block needs your help. There are bail funds all across the United States. Um, they need your help. Please educate yourself. Please stay informed on the news. And please donate, Okay. Okay, cool. Because I just wanna, I just wanna tell you. Because I know you all are the best listeners in the world, and I know you all listen to this show because you like hearing about me just talking about sports and me talking about daily life. 
But this is so much more important. People's lives are literally at stake. We need to change the way that people are policed. We need to change the way that people are treated. Or else people will die that don't have to die. That's all I can say about that. Okay, There's nothing more to say other than uh, George Floyd needs justice. Breonna Taylor needs justice. Um, Michael Brown needs justice. Uh, Ahmaud Arbery needs justice. Everybody who has been wrongfully shot by a police officer needs justice. Okay? That's all I can say. Um, and my last point about the Black Lives Matter protests is that I found it particularly disturbing when a group of peaceful protesters in front of the White House was shot at with rubber bullets and tear gassed um, right before the president walked through where they once stood to go to a photo opportunity in front of a church. I found that to be truly disgusting and hideous, and I just don't fathom the logic. Excuse me. I don't fathom the logic that went into crafting that photo op in such a charged time. Who in the president's council thought that would bring anybody together? Who thought that was a good idea? There is no higher disrespect than the president of the United States using force on his own citizens who are peacefully protesting outside of the White House, shooting at them with rubber bullets. It is depraved. Anyway, that's all I can say about that for this uh, week. Um, please support Black Lives Matter. Please support Reclaim the Block. Please support all other things uh, that are dedicated to helping black lives become necessary in the United States. This episode of Mike Gould Talks for June 8th, 2020. I'm going to be talking to one of the greatest and nicest people um, in the hockey media. Uh, one of my heroes growing up, I listened to him on Sportsnet West calling Calgary Flames games from 2008 to 2011. I listened to him calling hockey games. I, I mean, I still do. He still does it um, as the color commentator alongside Derek Wills. Um, and I'm going to be talking to Peter Labardius today. Peter Labardius is a Canadian legend of hockey. He knows basically everything about junior hockey. Um, he called eight Memorial Cups, and he's just incredible. So this episode is going to be over an hour long, and I'm going to delve into Peter Labardius' career with the man himself. No greater source for that. Um, we're going to be talking about all sorts of really cool stories. We're going to be talking about... Um, hockey stars from Prairie Towns and the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League in the 1980s, all the way up to Craig Conroy and Mark Giordano and the Calgary Flames as we know them today. So, without further ado, let's talk about hockey with Peter Lubardius. Enjoy the show. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, we've got a very special guest coming on the show today. Uh, you've heard his voice on TV and on the radio uh, talking about the Calgary Flames and basically every junior hockey team in the country. And today joining me is Calgary Flames color commentator Peter Labardius. How are you, Peter? I'm great, Mike. I'm uh, outstanding. 
Oh, yes, you are. Well, uh, Peter, um, yeah, how, how have you been managing this whole uh, quarantining situation? Because, boy, I, I actually got a COVID test today, um, which was a bit of an experience. Uh, but how, how, how have you been managing these last few months? Because I think it's sort of been unprecedented for everybody. Well, I think there's no question about that, Mike. To be honest, um, you know, my situation is a little different than a lot of people, meaning that, um, you know, my wife and stepdaughter, they're in Mississauga. I work in Calgary, and I have a son in Edmonton. So outside of I haven't seen him for far, far too long, Mm -hmm. um, I spend eight months of the year being away from the people I love the most uh, a lot of the time. So... Um, the best I can. It's been nice to to be at home and enjoy some extra time at home. Like I said earlier, it comes with a bit of a price because it's been, thank goodness, for FaceTime so I can connect with my uh, soon-to-be uh, little older son. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, to be frank, and I've said this to a lot of I'm in year, I guess, 36 of this crazy and unbelievable career that I've had. <laughs> And I've really probably more, Mike, than any other time, really taken some time to, you know, think about all the great opportunities, all the great people, um, and just how fortunate I've I've really spent a lot of time reading some books, which is not something I normally do, but I've really taken some time to really reflect on all the great opportunities and how fortunate and and blessed I've been to have the path that I've been on so far. Wow, 36 years in the business. I mean, for people listening who might not know Peter, I think uh, you've called uh, eight Memorial Cups, is that right? Eight Memorial Cups, indeed, yes. Yeah, and uh, so, so let's just let's just talk a bit about how you got started in the business, Peter, because uh, I think a lot of people know you as sort of the voice of the Calgary Flames uh, on Sportsnet West back in, uh, back in the late 2000s and now working with yeah. Peter Marr and Derek Wills on the radio, but uh, back in the back in the 80s, I think uh, if, if if my research is right, I mean, I think you went to Estevan and called some uh, junior games down there. Can you just talk about how you got started in the business? Because I personally would yeah, be really I, interested in knowing. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, it was something like that from a very very young age. It was something that I desperately wanted to do. I knew that my life, I wanted it to be involved in sport. Probably the time I was six or seven, um, you know, I think I probably wanted to be a hockey player at that point. It was pretty decent until the last year of Pee Wee, but really was very focused. I, I love sports so much. I just wanted my life to be involved and kind of, as I said, get paid for my greatest hobby and my most favorite thing. And um, so. It was never really for me a big decision. I, you know, I went to school in Saskatoon, got through high school, and took what at that point in time in 1984 was a one radio broadcast program. And that July, I ended up in my first job at CJSL Radio in Estevan at 18 years of age. Thank goodness it was for only one year as the news director because <laughs> I wanted no part of it. I wanted to start my career and have a job, but fortunately after that first year, which was a great learning experience for me, um, our sports guy in Estevan left and I became, you know, the sports guy and the voice of the Estevan Bruins and spent about four and a half years total there and um, voila, that was the start of uh, 
a journey that I would have never imagined would have taken me in as many different places and and done for me what it's done in, in my professional life. Yeah, well, it's funny. I was looking at that Estevan Bruins roster on HockeyDB.com, uh, which is quite the, quite the compendium of, uh, of basically every league you can think of. But, you know, for those four years that you were in Estevan, they only list the stats for one guy, uh, Adrian Secundiak. I don't know. Adrian Secundiak, And I, yes. I mean, I was going to I was gonna try and test you on this because I think a lot of people sort of regard you 81 as... 81 and 81 for 162 in 1985-86, which was my first year as voice of the Estevan Bruins. And uh, thoughts go out to Adrian. Unfortunately, uh, for the last number of years, He's been battling advanced brain cancer. Oh, that's terrible. Um, yeah, absolutely awful and just a beautiful guy. And he was a beautiful guy back then. And, um, yeah, he, uh, he was an outstanding player. At the time, he set the all-time goal record for the SL a few years later. A gentleman by the name of Bill McDougall of the Humphreys ended up scoring... 83 but yeah his stats weren't hard to find and on the ice he wasn't hard to find and um that year i can share this a little bit the bruins had won the league the first year i moved Man when i was doing news and then the next year the bruins went 47 11 and 2 the humble broncos went 56 and 4 oh man and yes and they met in the league championship series, take up the rest of your podcast, <laughs> regaling how that series went. It's funny, I'm not sure I could regale the last three Flames games I did, but I could go back <laughs> over that series in the spring of 1986 like it was yesterday, and I'm humbled that only lost four games all year. I think they lost one, not even sure they lost a game in the playoffs, and Humboldt took a three games to one series lead. The Bruins back they won game five in overtime and humbled won game six in estevan on uh easter sunday went up two to nothing in game seven and lost six two and uh i'm not sure i'm over it yet mike oh man all these years all these years (laughs) later uh, that's unbelievable it it was uh an incredible way to start my play-by-play career and uh, I am so fond and thankful for those years and the people that I met. And, you know, I moved away from home and um, met so many awesome people. A number of those people I value beyond belief, and some are still incredibly close friends. So, yeah, it, uh, I wouldn't trade it. People said going in, you know, if you're in a small market like that for probably – any more than a year or two, maybe it's not going to work out for you, but I, I really, I was there for four and a half, and I've said it to many people, it, it probably really set the foundation for absolutely everything I've been lucky enough to accomplish and do in my career. It sounds like it was, uh, to, to use one of your quotes, some kind of series. <laughs> it was some kind of series. <laughs> it was. not not Believe it or not, the second best the second junior best. A series I ever had a chance to call. No, I'm I'm not even going to bother asking you what the best one is because I think you were already on your way to saying what it was. Um, the best one came in the spring of 1988 mm-hmm. when my boss 
in Estevan at the time asked me after the Bruins had been eliminated from the playoffs if I would be interested in broadcasting for both Estevan and Weyburn because we were owned by the people. Mm-hmm. The Notre Dame Hounds run to the Centennial after they had won the league. Wilcox, Saskatchewan does not have its own radio station, and I think I remember leaving John Empey's office and did about 23 fist pumps. <laughs> and in the second round, they beat Winnipeg South in the first round after they won Saskatchewan. They beat Calgary Canucks in an epic, epic. The captain of the Notre Dame Hounds was some guy by the name of Rod Brendamore. Oh, hey. The goalie you might have heard of is a gentleman by the name of Joseph. Curtis Joseph? And... Yeah, Curtis Joseph, yeah. yes, was the Notre Dame Hound goalie. And the Canucks, coached by Don Phelps, had a number of outstanding players, including a 15-year-old goalie of their own by the name of Corey Hirsch. Oh, yeah. Um, so 3-1 was the count in that series as well at one point in time in favor of uh, Calgary. And Notre Dame came back to force game seven and I could really regale you with the tales of this series because like I said it was incredible but here's how it ended 4-3 Notre Dame at Max Bell Arena five seconds left to go in game seven and bless his soul we we lost him way too young in a car accident Jeff Batters a pick pushed the net off its moorings oh no so Curtis Joseph stopped a gentleman by the name of Dean Larson on a penalty shot with five seconds left in Game 7. Notre Dame beat Calgary four games to three, and then they went to Pembroke, Ontario, and won the uh, Centennial Cup. Oh, man, I think Max Bell's roof might have lost a few shingles that day. Wow, that's pretty yeah, crazy. Yeah. Huh, boy. Boy, Peter, I don't know how you remember that stuff. I mean, I can barely remember who's, like you said, who scored in the last Flames game. All I know is Milan Lucic did, and he has a three-month uh, goal-scoring streak over the last little little bit. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's unbelievable. So uh, after those years in Estevan, because believe me, I, I could talk to you about Estevan all day. It sounds like it was fascinating. Uh, but you started working in the WHL. Uh, yes, and I, I'm I'm curious because I'm. I know you worked with Shaw TV for a long time and called uh, yeah. called a whole bunch of games that I used to watch on Channel 10, just flipping through mm-hmm. channels. But uh, going back to the 1988, I'm sure that channel wasn't around, and I'm, I'm just curious to know what exactly your career progression was through there because I'm sure it took you all over the place. It did. I left, I left um, and in the fall of 1988 and went to CKCK Radio hired by my number one mentor ever in the business, Roger Millions, who ended up hiring me three different times in the course of my career. And um, so I moved there in 88, and we did not have the rights to the Regina Pats. We ended up getting them the next season, and that season I became the voice of the Regina Pats, which Mm -hmm. is interesting story because growing up in Saskatoon, I couldn't have liked a hockey team or organization more growing up if I had tried than the Regina Pats. And in the greatest irony of my career, um, someone who loves the Western Hockey League truly like family, and it's been a massive part of my life since I was like a really little guy. There I was 
having an opportunity, and my first job in the Western Hockey League is to be the voice of the long-for-me-dreaded Regina Pass, <laughs> where I spent the next four seasons and a bit before Roger hired me again to start my television career in 1993 at what is now Global, but back then was ST in Saskatoon. Okay, all right, wow. Yeah, so that Regina Pats team, I, I'm looking it up, and uh, you called Mike Sillinger on one of his uh, a million teams. That's pretty crazy. Yes, I most certainly did. Um, in fact, my first duty as the new voice of the Regina Pats was the, to cover the 1989 National Hockey League draft in Bloomington, Minnesota, in the old building there, and the Pats had three first-round picks oh, yeah. by the names of Mike Sillinger, Kevin Haller, mm-hmm. Amy Heward. So, and and Mike is great a junior as he was, and a lengthy NHL career is also one of the uh, to this day one of the finest people I've ever encountered as far as players are concerned. Well, you know, you, you get guys who who play for as many teams as they do, and maybe some people think that you know. It's because nobody wants him, but I like to think of it sort of the other way: is that everybody wants him. You know, maybe that maybe. Well, in his case, in his case, Mike, you know, there certainly are, as you would know, lots of situations where guys do move around, and you know, there are some negative connotations sometimes. But in the case of Mike, that wasn't the case. Yeah. Um, just a terrific person, great team guy. When you face offs, um, you know, he was more a guy who I'd liken a little bit to a former Calgary Flame in a Lee Stempniak type who oh, yeah. just seemed like he was, Mike, like Lee, a character guy who, you know, maybe wasn't setting the world on fire, but that missing piece or just a character guy that so well in every single room and be versatile. And so, yes, for sure in Mike's case, anybody who had ever encountered him um, you know, you could look at that record and go, well, how did that happen? Well, in his case, I, it was truly far more a positive thing mm-hmm. than a negative, although <laughs> hard, I know the family pretty well. Hard, hard as heck on the uh, family to move around that much. And his <laughs> son, Paul Sillinger, is very likely going to be the next Sillinger in the NHL because this uh, young member of the Medicine Hat Tigers is a whale of a young talent. I'm sure you would know, and uh, yeah, Stempniak, That's a that's a great name. I, he he led the Flames in scoring one year. He was always uh, one of my favorites when he was when he was here. And you, terrific you, guy. Yeah, terrific guy. Yeah, very similar. I, I agree with that. Very similar type of player. And I, uh, speaking of the Calgary Flames, uh, flash forward about what 20 years working in the Dub, and how many Memorial Cups again? Like eight, and eight. Yeah. Calling calling guys like Corey Perry and and all that. Uh, yeah, and you get some the, guy named Crosby. Some guy named Sid. Yeah, yeah, with those yeah, pretty, uh, pretty good, pretty yeah. good run of of yeah. guys that I was lucky enough to. Well, yeah, I mean, grow and and kind of go through that particular stretch with. Yeah, well, I mean, that 2003 draft falls smack right in the middle of it, and that was one of the best drafts of all time. If you look at all the talent yeah. that was assembled in it, like it was, uh, it was. I didn't call the Memorial Cup in 2003. My first year of doing the Cup was 2004, but arguably my first big 
junior assignment was to do the top prospects game in 2003. Oh, man. So go take a look. Go take a look at those rosters sometime. Um, you know, as great a draft class as there has ever been, and I've told this story on a radio station, Mike, several times. It was an incredible game, one four to three, uh, hard, incredible competition. Certainly nothing like what you think of any kind of all-star game, although to its credit, and I love that about it, the top prospects game is never into that. I mean, there's just too much for those kids on the line. But the story I like to tell is the day before the game itself, that incredible group of talented young people played 50 minutes worth, two 25-minute periods of three-on-three against one another. And it it was absolutely something that I will never forget. And, and the ringleader in that particular event was if I didn't know how athletic Marc-Andre Fleury was prior to that day, I sure learned <laughs> a lot about, about it on that day. Yeah, well, Fleury, I mean, he's had an amazing career and he's still one of the top goalies in the league, what, 15, 17 years after mm-hmm. his draft year. And, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was just unbelievable to watch because not many guys, especially goalies, can step in as an 18-year-old, even on a bad team. Those Penguins in his first year were not good, but can step in and, and, and actually play at an NHL caliber in their, at, their, at the age of 18 and 19. And I think Fleury is one of the few guys since the, the turn of the millennium to be able to actually do that. Yeah, I think I think he was technically 19 when he finally ended up in the National Athletic for the first time. Um, but again, what an interesting ride he had. He was without a doubt, and I was there in Halifax in 2003. He was the best goalie of the 2003 World Junior, or in Canada, lost to the Russians 3-2 in the final, and then. You know, fast forward to his second year as the star goalie, well, that was the horrific loss to the United States in Helsinki, Finland, mm-hmm. where Canada took a 3-1 lead period and looked like they might go up 4-1 or 5-1, and Braden Coburn ended up having Marc-Andre Fleury shoot a puck off his back and go in the back of the net, Yep. and the Americans win that game by a count of 4-3, to and, you know... The thing people don't know about Marc-Andre Fleury, because we don't think about it this way as a goalie, but it certainly took him a while, and understandably so, to come back from that really difficult, heartbreaking situation to go through for those kids in in so many ways, him and it really hurt Braden Coburn, trust me, for Mm -hmm. a long, long time. Um, You know, fortunately... For Coburn and that great 2005 World Junior team, they didn't have to wait long to at least avenge it. Well, Flurry didn't get that opportunity. He lost back-to-back gold medal games in 2003 and 2004. Um, but you mentioned it, and he has been, and especially in his well now, now too. No one should ever make light of what he meant in Pittsburgh as far as his leadership his relationship with Sidney Crosby, how valued he was in that room. 
And Mike, make no mistake, he is a massive reason, not just on the ice, yeah. he is great off the ice as to what he has meant in the early years of the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah. You know, we don't always think about goalies in that particular respect. This guy is, he is at a high, high level of leadership as a team guy. And don't forget, it was in the late 2000s, too, where it looked like his career might be over. He couldn't yeah. make it two awful years in a row in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think I think very, very highly of Marc-Andre Fleury. A hundred percent. And you, you think of, so, some people sometimes miss how the personal aspect of players uh, gels in with the rest of the team and, and how it how it really creates that sort of team culture. A lot of, I think people sometimes get sucked into the belief that, that you know, teams are, are just X's and O's, but there are the, the, the personalities behind each individual player go way into crafting the success of any team. And I think, yeah, you're right. Marc-Andre Fleury uh, has just, success has followed him for his, for his entire career. And I think, you can say the same about uh, this is a segue to the Flames uh, a little bit. You can say the same, I think, a bit about a guy like Jerome McGinley, who you called in your first NHL assignment, or your first, uh, I think, you, 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 I don't know if you had called any NHL games before you started calling uh, as the voice of the Flames in 2008. Like, was that your yeah, first? Yeah, I, I, I had. Oh, I yeah. had. I did. Oh, wait. I did. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry. Pardon me. Pardon me. What am I even saying? Because. I was actually gonna. I was gonna ask you about this about um, uh, a call that everybody talks about uh, when it comes to when it comes to Peter Lavardius. What what am I saying, Mike? Um, uh, yeah. Well, I think I think fans in Calgary because that's an interesting story. Um, you know, because prior to having those three years as the television voice of the Calgary Flames, I had an opportunity to do you know about a dozen games for three seasons of those guys down the road. Yeah. And, you know, I didn't think about it a whole lot because I'm, I'm not one to spend a lot of time on social media forums. I, I find it does me personally more harm than good. Mm-hmm. But I don't think there was any doubt that early in my time as the voice of the Flames, you know, when they hear somebody else, do games of the uh, arch rival. Uh, I think it probably took me. Maybe I never did. It always turned out, but um, I think it may have been a little harder sell for me in the early going, just because you know people couldn't kind of necessarily not think about me without thinking about the fact that I'd had an association with the other group. Mm-hmm. Well, Peter, let me tell you, it was never an issue for me. I. Uh... The first, the first season that I watched the Flames was that 2008-09 season, and it was, uh, it was in large part uh, due to your commentary that I eventually went into journalism school. That's that's that is 100 percent true. Um, well, I appreciate that. Yeah, but um, I, I actually was going to play something for you um, because uh, earlier uh, this year, I think uh, in the last month or so, uh, a guy who who played for that Oilers team that you uh, called. A very, very good offensive player, Alish Hemsky, retired. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it probably stands as your most famous call to date. And I'm just going to play it for you um, because I think. Can you hear it? Yep. 
locates Bergeron, and Stu Barnes stripped him. Stephens' attempt at the empty net hit a body, and that's why there's no icing. One last gasp here for the Oilers. So I think that's uh I, I mean I it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah, that's uh yeah, that's number one on the list for sure. Um, it's 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 a funny story for me because you know I one of the classiest guys you'd ever meet in our business, Quinn. And there are times when I think back to how lucky I was that particular night and that particular moment um, happened to fall on one of those Oiler games that I was lucky enough to do that year and. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've watched it or I've probably had this discussion more in the last four or five months outside of right after when it happened. But, uh, you know, it, it, it still gives me goosebumps. Um, I can say I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of, of how it went. And um, it's something that my gets to watch. And so... Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of it. I feel very fortunate. I had the opportunity to, to see it. I still, I still, there are times when I either listen to it or watch it. I still, as I described it, I still can't believe truly what happened. Yeah. Um, you know, because it's one thing on that goal, Mike, that he went in and that he missed the empty net. Yeah. But as I've described to people, what for me is almost more incredible is, well, first, Patrick Steffen, with eight seconds left, had to drag the puck backwards, which allowed Jarrett Stoll to take it, fire a 110-foot diagonal pass to Ryan Smith, who then feathered it across right on the stick of Hemsky, who makes a great move to tie the game with a second and a half left. And, you know, even just hearing it every single time, that place thought it was going to I thought it was going to implode. Yeah. Like, that place went off like, you know, somebody had just won a playoff game, and our poor statistician, Paul, who, you know, in Edmonton's old building, trust me, Mike, there's not a lot of room in that booth. <laughs> I think I had crawled three-quarters of the way up his back by the time <laughs> it was finally, was finally over. So, yeah, it's, it's a great memory, and... Uh, you know, I, I always enjoy always enjoy the opportunity to revisit with whoever cares and is curious to ask. <laughs> well, one of the things that I just love about that call because, uh, you know, there's there's sort of the standard hockey lingo when when, when you have I mean Doc Emmerich aside, uh, but you know talking about you know he shoots he scores that sort of stuff and and he missed the net and whatever, uh, but there's nothing quite like the phrase. Oh, at least he was, or at least, oh, at least I thought he was gonna, but then he blew it. <laughs> it's just, it's a fantastic turn of the phrase, and then to go all the way up the other end, it's, it's just, and I, I don't think a lot of people know that the Dallas Stars actually ended up winning that game. Uh, yes, they did. They yeah. won the game in a shootout. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, which is, which is crazy. 
uh, when you mm-hmm. consider that it was the tale of two breakaways in the in regulation, and then it had to end in a tale of multiple breakaways at the end of it. Yes. But, um, yeah. No. Just a a fantastic call, and I, I thank you for that one because it's it's been a, a a constant source of joy whenever I whenever I watch it. Even though I'm not necessarily a fan of the Edmonton Oilers, but it's just it's no. a great, it's a great call. Um, well, I, I appreciate it, and like I said, I never. Uh, it's I always enjoy the daylights of having a chance to revisit it. Yeah. So I'm going to talk about the Calgary Flames now because you joined the Calgary Flames in in the in 2008, um, mm-hmm. and uh, but before I before I go on to that, I just want to talk about actually about um, about you and about Rob Kerr uh, because and it, it has nothing to do with TV. Uh, it's actually. Right. I, I was in a, I was playing in a hockey tournament, probably twenty. Oh, you know what? It would have been twenty eleven, because uh, it was with uh, Breakfast Television. Uh, they had this hockey tournament called the uh, BT Outdoor Classic. Yeah, uh, I remember. Yeah, I'm sure you do uh, because you were there. And uh, um, and the the reason that I bring this up is because uh, we I was playing for the Glen Lake Hawks uh, in that tournament. I was playing uh, probably in Adam. I think that sounds about right. And it was in yep. twenty. It was in twenty eleven uh, when the outdoor game was uh, the Heritage Classic between the Calgary Flames and the Montreal Canadiens, uh, which was a great game. I was actually at that game. But um, no, the, the uh, for listeners, the the premise of this tournament is that they put all the uh, the Adam teams in my bracket up against each other, and the two teams that made it to the finals would get to play on the McMahon Stadium ice that they built for this. For this, uh, this uh, the the Flames game against Montreal, mm-hmm. but but mm-hmm. one one it one it came down to it. They determined it was too cold on the day that it was supposed to happen, so they restructured. Yeah, so you guys it. had to move yeah. inside. They restructured it to a two-game final based on total goals, with the first game being at the Scotiabank Saddledome Ice and the second game being outside. And the reason that I'm bringing this up other than to talk about a tournament that we actually ended up losing in the finals uh, by in, in the shootout. And I, I scored, or I missed the shootout uh, opportunity that would have tied it up, but that's, 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 a, that's an old wound. Um, there's, an, there's an even bigger wound that I want to talk about, and it actually has nothing, okay. it has very little to do with Peter, and it has more to do with Rob Kerr, uh, because Peter Labardius, uh, who I am talking to now, if you had tuned out the first 30 minutes of this interview, uh, was on hand to introduce both teams. You were on hand to introduce both my team and the team that we were playing against in the semifinals that would lead into the uh, finals. If so, so it, mm-hmm. like if, if we won that game, we would get to play on McMahon Stadium, right? Uh, and you introduced all of us, including me. Uh, and you said my name right because back then I was going by the name Mikey. Uh, and you called me Mikey, which I was very, very happy about. And I just want to make it make it known that Rob Kerr introduced us at the Scotiabank Saddleome, and he called me Mickey. Uh, and to this day, I still have not forgiven Rob Kerr. I can tell you, I, I can tell we something in common. You, you haven't put either one of the either the games away or the or the bad announcement away. <laughs> Yeah, a hundred percent, absolutely. Rob Kerr, <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 as I was as I was running out onto the ice because they told all of us to uh, to to skate on the ice and do our craziest right. celebration, and I didn't celebrate. I yelled at Rob Kerr and I said, "It's Mikey." Um, oh my goodness! Yeah, that's I, that's a great story. Yeah, me, eleven-year-old me, and you. I to your credit, you said it 
with perfect authority and conviction, and you called me by my proper name. And to, so to this day, I mean, I, I always listen to uh, to sports and hockey games, and I, I always I, I liked both of you calling the games, but I always liked you just a little bit more, just because of that. Well, I, appre- I, I appreciate that with you, my friend. I got it on a very important day. You know, it's it, the only thing I would say to that is a thank you for sharing, um, <laughs> and 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 the reason why is, and it's it's important to me. So I I'm, I want to say this is, um, you know, we're so lucky to do what we. And, you know, to this day, I I get pretty nervous sometimes when people come up to me or they're interested, you know, in chatting. And, and, you know, that's just kind of my nature. But I've come to learn through all the years that it just, it doesn't take very much. You know, I remember being your age and I, you know, I remember my first game on a 10-year-old as a 10-year-old all-star playing my first game at the old Saskatoon Arena. And the point being is that, you know, the times that we have when we're that age make such a difference. Mm -hmm. So anyone, you know, whether if you're a player or whether you do what you or, you know, you just never know sometimes whether an announcement of somebody's name might make a difference. So I'm glad for you that that's a positive (laughs) positive memory when you think about oh. how I did it. Well, I'll, I'll say this. Both of them are absolutely positive memories. Uh, yours was very oh, much Oh, I can't so. imagine and, how they wouldn't have been. And Rob Kerr, I mean, uh, we we actually, uh, and it's a bit of poetic justice that we won the game that you said my name right and we lost the game that Rob said my name wrong. <laughs> although, although, although I did score both, I did score goals in both games and I scored, nice. I, I scored the shootout winner in the game that you were at on TV, uh, which I was, I was pretty proud of, um, for a very long time. Uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really fun time. Um, so yeah, uh, I want to talk now about um, about broadcasting and about your time with the Flames um, in mm-hmm. both on both TV and on the radio because right. um, they were very formative years for me in terms of watching hockey. It was uh, Jerome McGinley, Todd Bertuzzi that year, uh, Mike Camilleri, uh, Rene Bork, Curtis Glencross, Ole Jokinen. I mean, I can list that entire team, all their stats. Again, had, again, had eighty nine points that year. Bertuzzi had forty four. I mean, uh, Camilleri had eighty two. But thirty nine goals. Yeah, thirty nine goals. He was the only guy in that decade uh, to beat Jerome in the goal scoring uh, for the Flames. Uh, nobody else was able to do it. But I'm, I, I mean, I'm sure you could regale me with with tales. And I, I one of my favorite calls of yours from that from those years was. Uh, uh, just this this one on YouTube that I that I I found it finally on YouTube years after the fact and it was just this this thing as you were cutting to commercial break and you showed a replay of of somebody's shot it was probably Jerome's hitting a crossbar and you said doink and it went to break and that that was that was always one of my favorites but uh, uh, it was um, I want to talk to you about Charlie Simmer um, who you called yes. who you called games with on TV I think for all three years that you were on TV mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Charlie Simmer, I mean, for those of you uh, listening who don't know, was part of a very, very good line for the Kings in the 1980s. Um, with who, who, was, who was on that line? Was it Dave Taylor and... Uh, Dave Taylor and Marcel Dion. That's right. Yeah, the Triple Crown line. Triple Crown triple line, crown I think line. they called it. Uh, and, that's exactly what they called it. Yeah, I thought so. And, and um, listening to you and Charlie uh, was just, you know, it, it, it was sort of like a yin and yang. You, you, he, was, he was sort of the uh, the 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 guy who who was sort of a little bit gruffer and a little bit uh 
little bit. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know the right words, but you. You were. You always seemed like you were just bouncy. That, that was the way that I described your voice was bouncy. I don't know why. Um, but I, I want to hear it from uh, straight from your mouth. What was it like to yeah. work with? What was it like to work with a guy like that, like Charlie, Charlie? Simmer, for three years? Uh, Charlie was. Charlie's just flat out like one of the kindest, finest people that I've ever been associated with. Um, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed doing games with him. Um, you know, despite all of his great successes in the National Hockey League, just so kind, so respectful, um, so much fun to be around. I learned so much. Um, I've really, really been so fortunate with so many of the guys that I've had an opportunity to work with. And, um, yeah, you know, I Charlie to me was, I don't know if I'd call him a because I was too old for that for him, but I just, I beam when I think about him, Mike, just because hearing his name just always puts a smile on my face. And one of the great of going through the journey that I've been on is one of the always appreciated is if you like you, if you grew up and you watch somebody on TV and you were a fan and you, you got to meet them, you just, I always had a sense that Charlie Simmer really good guy. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, he was a way better person than I could have ever, ever imagined. So yeah, those uh, those are very, very fond, fond memories of my time working with Charlie. Yeah, I I, I gleaned sort of a similar uh, sense from watching you two together. It just seemed like you had a very good camaraderie. Uh, yeah, cool. we were we had a good balance. Yeah. You know, I was the excitable guy, and he just kind of brought everything, you know, back down a couple of notches, <laughs> and easy to listen to. So, yeah, it was a good combo. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I gathered as much. So, now I want to talk to you about um, a couple of the players on the team, um, and maybe mm-hmm. maybe uh, one of the guys who, one of the few guys maybe who, who, who talks more about hockey than you do. Um and I, I don't know if you know who I'm talking about just yet, but I think it'd be safe to say that Craig Conroy can beat anybody in a talking contest. <laughs> I could give him a pretty good run. Oh, yeah, uh, I'm sure you absolutely could. But, uh, but, yeah, I don't think either one of us ever met a conversation that we really didn't like in some way. He's he's just nicer and friendlier and energetic than I am. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, if, if you're asking for my thoughts, and Craig Conroy, um, I would phrase it this way, and I, you know, I've known Craig now for a number of years, and you know, dealt with him as a player, and now dealing with him as one of the Flames' assistant GMs. Mike, he is everything you think. Mm-hmm. He he is not capable, and and I don't think a lot of people I've ever known in my nearly fifty-five years of living have this. But when Craig walks into a room. He just brings with it such an incredible, positive energy that that you cannot help but be touched by. Like it's it's a gift. In fact, a gift of the point where we had him on the fan. I was 
helping to co-host the show recently in the afternoon, and mm-hmm. I'd never asked him this question publicly, and I said, Craig, I just, you know, you're such a pleasure to be around, you know, you come into a room and just it's such great energy and positivity, and asked him, you know, where it came from, and then he talked about his, his upbringing and his parents in Potsdam, New York, and mm-hmm. he, he just... Yeah, everything you think is is just so genuine. There, it's there's nothing there's nothing fake. There's it's not about the show. It's just a genuine, positive, easy to be around, excitable. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan. Big fan. Well, and from what I've heard, um, I, I don't have much knowledge of what he uh, of of the the environment in the in the front office but from what i've heard uh he he's he's become quite a very skilled executive too and the buffalo sabers i think were a team that a couple of years ago might have had interest in hiring him as their their next general manager and it's just amazing how quickly he's sort of risen up those ranks well you know first and foremost i think for anything mike is craig has incredible passion for the game he just he just loves it he loves being around it and i think and his people skills are exceptional Mm -hmm. so you know when you have a couple of those things going for you you're willing to put in the work Mm -hmm. if you talk to a lot of former athletes who jump from playing hockey into different careers um you know, it's it's a different type of work, and for the most part, it's, it's harder than what they've had to deal with, and they they don't have the same comfort zone that they did because being a player and a really good player is all that they'd ever known. Mm-hmm. But you know, so much of it comes down to your passion, your work, and your will. You know, just the same way that's very much a great separator, in my opinion, in almost anything in life in terms of trying to be successful. But like I said, when, when you have some of the gifts that Craig's obviously played, been around it his whole life, has an incredible passion and energy and life itself, you know, he's, I'm trying to think of the proper adjective, and I've now, he's just, he's one of the most infectious people I've known. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a really yeah. good word. That's a really good word for yeah. that. Uh, talking about guys who are sort of really prominent in the in the Calgary community, and there's a guy uh, named Mark Giordano who was over the years, over how many years, 16 years with the Calgary Flames, uh, really grown into, f- from a guy who I think some people might have buried on their depth charts around 2007, 2008, uh, especially when he went to Russia for a year, but who has sort of grown to to be one of the one of the faces of this team, if not the face, and um, I mean, in the early 2000s, playing for the, I think it was the Owen Sound Attack, um, and uh, and getting the, a PTO, I think, with the Phoenix Coyotes, sort of bouncing around a little bit before he wound up with the Flames. Uh, I'm going to put your uh, scouting skills to the test here and just ask you, because uh, this was a guy who was the definition of unheralded for, for the longest yes. time. But did, can, can, you, can you say that you were ever the herald? of Mark Giordano? Did you, uh, did you ever see any of that, of that skill peeking through? Um, no, not, not, not an early enough. 
stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I vividly can remember the first night I'd ever watched him doing a game at the Harry Lumley Bayshore Arena in Owen Sound, and mm-hmm. you know, didn't know much about him. You know, what people don't always realize, I think, you know, the story they do now because it's been so well told, especially during his run last season, you know, being a 35-year-old winner of the Norris Trophy. Um, But Mark was never drafted into the Ontario Hockey League, and he didn't play in the Ontario Hockey League until his 19-year-old season. So that, as you can imagine, Mike, is not a path that very often you know, leads to some great places. Um, but, you know, I remember that night thinking, and I remember Sam Cosentino and I talking about it on our way home after the game, going, boy, this kid's pretty well. He's, he's in the mix all the time. Um, you know, loved his work. So, yeah, my, my viewings of him in Owen Sound didn't necessarily say to me that this guy's going to be a for sure any cheller, but you know, you never, I've never been to the rent books and, you know, I've watched Mark a lot and a lot up close and in person during my time. And he just never cheats you. Yeah. You know, he never, he, he really never has ever in my time taken a night off, taken a shift off. Some nights are better than others, but you know, he, he is just in many ways, the poster person to say, believe just mm-hmm. put in the work be dedicated to the work and, and i do i think i think and he still carries it around a little bit and it's going to sound negative but it's as positive as positive could be mm-hmm. i think he's always just kind of carried that around here's here's what i can't do and he has just turned it into an outstanding national hockey league career i mean you don't become the norris trophy winner very often in this sport at 35. No. You know, that's, it's kind of bucking the odds and the trend, but that's kind of Mark. You just, you know, when you think he can't get better, he just keeps getting better. And it's just, it's all about his dedication, his commitment and the work. Mm-hmm. And, and he's, he really is. He's just an upstanding, respectful, quality guy. Absolutely. And I think, I think back to when I was uh, when I was uh, nine or ten, and I was subscribed to the hockey news. And the Flames had made some big splashes in the summer. They brought in Jay Bowmeister. Uh, they still had Dion Phaneuf. Uh, they still had Robin Regeer, and those three guys were all were all on the cover of that magazine. Uh, and, and they were talking about the Flames having the best defense in the whole NHL. And and at that time, even Mark Giordano is is twenty seven, twenty six years old. And he's just a total afterthought when, when you consider that those, those are the three guys who were ahead of him. And no disrespect to all three of those guys. They're all fantastic hockey players. But Mark Giordano has just come out of nowhere, and he's become better than any of them ever were, I think. When, yeah, that's probably and, fair. Yeah, that's, and, it's, I've never quite thought of it that way, Mike. But, but you know, he's certainly, yeah, been every bit as accomplished. I mean, I think all of those guys at a certain point um, – you know, I, I don't think Robin's value in some ways was ever quite appreciated no. the way I think it should have been. No. Um, you know, he was he was a true leader on that team. And, you know, we played a little Alice Hemsky earlier in oh, the yeah. show. I know who didn't enjoy playing against <laughs> 
Robin Regeer very much, and that was Alex Hemsky. No. So, um, yeah, you know, it, you know, all all those guys have done incredibly well. But you're right. I mean, there wouldn't if you rewound the clock to that spot, there probably wouldn't have been a lot of people predicting that when it's all said and this might win that battle. No. Yeah, well, and you still had guys like Corey Sarich even ahead of him on that roster. And all four of those guys, again, again, I, I really enjoyed watching all four of those guys as a flame, but just, it's amazing, just the trajectory. And I, yeah. I and a lot of the credit, I think, um, I've heard about discovering Mark Giordano. Uh, and I just before I get into this, you were a scout, I believe, for the Red Deer Rebels. Uh, I believe I read that somewhere. Well, I tried it, I tried it for one year, and will always be grateful after losing my television job at Sportsnet in 2011. Um, I had some pretty amazing people and will be thankful till the day I leave the earth that Brent Sutter for one year gave me an opportunity to try and learn the craft Mm -hmm. and make my transition back from from the worst place I've ever been. Um, So yeah, but you know, to this, anybody I think who listens to me on a somewhat regular basis would know that you know, that's that's a part for me about the game that I I love very much. Right. You know, it's if I wasn't doing what I was doing, um, you know, I have great, great interest and fascination about scouting and player evaluation. Well, I bring up scouting uh, because I want to talk about the guy who many people have called responsible for bringing Mark Giordano to Calgary, and he's a guy who left us. Uh, in, yes. in April, and I want to I want to talk about Tom, Tom Webster. Webster, and and I want to know if if he was an, ever a guy who you interacted with around the the rink, and if you have any stories to tell about Tom. A little bit. Um, I don't. You know, I, I certainly had dealings with Tom. I can't tell you that I have any specific stories. Um, you know, I remember when Tom was the coach of the Windsor Spitfires back in the late went on the coach of the Kings and you know, again, just so sad that he, the sooner than, than any of us would have liked. The one thing I would just say about Tom is in any discussion that I ever had with him or I was around that he was involved was, he, he was just, he was such a class act, Mike. Mm-hmm. Just the way, I love the way Tom talk to people and it it just it really didn't matter if you were you know a a first year media person or somebody that was doing hockey night in Canada or you know someone that he would meet around the rink um just just classy found the sport his whole life um so I'm I'm glad you bring that up that's that's a nice tie and um yeah just such such a such a classy figure, a class class act. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I figured I, I would just bring that up just uh, to talk about the guy who I I, I don't know if, if many people know that uh, Tom Webster was uh, the guy, former Flame scout who who brought in Mark Giordano at a time when maybe not a lot of people would. So, and he's he's maybe responsible for the Flames having a Norris Trophy caliber defenseman on their back end, something that they've never. Somehow, I mean, considering yeah. had Al McKinnis and Gary Suter, uh, all, all those guys, uh, even Dion in his first few years, and yet 
Mark Giordano to this day is the only guy to yeah. ever win the, the Norris Trophy for the Calgary Flames. And somebody who calls all of those guys, all of Dion and, and Al McInnes and Gary Suter and Kent Nielsen and uh, Guy Chouinard going back to 1980, uh, Peter Marr, uh, who you worked with, I believe, uh, in your first year on the radio with the Flames. And, uh, I did. And I, I want to talk to you about Peter uh, because he was a guy who I remember listening to on the radio back in uh, 2009. Uh, when Theo Fleury was making his comeback, and 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 that was for, and the, the their preseason game against the New York Islanders was the hot ticket in town because it, it might have been the last chance for people to see Theo, and he, he didn't make the team after that, so it was their last chance to see Theo, and and I remember I didn't go to that game, but I listened to him call, and and I hadn't really listened to many games uh, that Peter Marr had called because I was usually watching them on TV, uh, so I was listening to you, and and. Uh, and but 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 that was really my first exposure to Peter Marr, and and later that year I listened to Peter. I I I, I had a hockey game uh, that I was going to out in Springbank back when I was still playing for Glen Lake, and and uh, so I had to listen to the rest of the 2010 gold medal game uh, on the radio uh, right after because we 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 were waiting uh, at at home to see if we could catch the end of it after Parise had tied it or no before Parise yeah. had tied it and then Parise tied it and my dad said well we have to go. And so I didn't actually listen to Chris Cuthbert's golden goal call of that of, of, of that goal. I listened to Peter Marr call it on the radio, and it was it's it's something that will always stick with me going out to Springfield and listening to that goal because I know exactly where I was out in the city. And uh, but uh, but I want to I want to talk to you about what it was like to work with Peter Marr on a professional basis because a lot of people you know talk about Peter Marr and he was he was the voice of Jerome and of Lanny and and whoever on the radio, but. You were the guy. You were maybe the la, you were the last guy to, to work with Peter Marr in the in the radio broadcast booth, and and can you just talk to me about what that meant to you and what it meant to to be be well, his color guy for a year? Well, what I would say, and I say this um, to people who ask, is I, I didn't really deserve to be that guy. Um, Mike Rogers had been Peter's partner. It was Doug Barkley before that, and and Mike and Peter were a wonderful combination and Mike had decided that for various different reasons um, that it was time to move on and that allowed me to get a call from Kelly Kershaw at the time. I, I don't know where next and I'm not sure I promise you more than one year but would you be interested? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I always in my own way I, I, I don't feel like it was right that it wasn't Mike Rogers who Peter finished his career out with, I think that would have been um, the really right way to go. So I feel very fortunate. Um, you know, I learned I learned a lot in that year. And the one thing that I just so admired about Peter until the very last game that he called, Johnny Gaudreau's first game in the league that he scored on that Sunday afternoon in Vancouver in April of that last season for Peter was that his, his preparation was splendid. It was consistent. He was meant to call hockey. Mm-hmm. And he never wavered. Um, you know, there was never a situation that he, he couldn't handle. Um, he went about his business. You want to talk about a guy who was just so good at his routine. He was a consummate professional. He knew how to do it the right way. Um, you know, for some of our other people, you know, Rob Kerr, all the years he spent with them and 
what an impact. Pat Steinberg would tell you the same thing. And, you know, I, I'd been around the league, obviously, by the time I was in a brand new role and, frankly, still clawing my way back from, you know, a very tough summer of 2011. But uh, it, it was, I, I wouldn't say this about every situation I've been in, but it was an honor. It was an honor and a true privilege to just watch Peter and be around him. Yeah. The word Hall of Famer, the words Hall of Famer, Peter Marr is a true Hall of Famer. And his 35 years of work in Calgary, um, how he went about his business. What I, what, I, what I love the most about Peter is it wasn't ever about Peter. Mm-hmm. It was about the game. And at times in 2020, I know this is going to be the old guy talking to the young guy, um, and I apologize for that. But there are times I think in the in you know our business, but not just our business, just in the world itself and social media and how big you know branding and self branding and social media has become. That you know, Peter was about the game. He loved the game. He loved calling the game. And that's not to say that other people, including Derek, who I work with now, he loves, he loves calling games. Yeah. And he's been doing it now for over 20 years. So, you know, but Peter, it was about, it was about calling the game and doing it, you know, you had experience and knowledge and history and, so yeah, what a, what an absolute honor and a privilege. And like I said, I'm all, always kind of bashful because I don't think I deserved <laughs> my my first year should have been the next year With when Derek, Derek yeah. came on the scene. But um, I'm so so grateful, and I learned so so much in the year that I had a chance to sit by him, you know, ninety different times. Well, I'll say this, I. I... I listened to a lot of Flames games on the radio that year uh, because I had actually lost my house in the flood um, in 2013, and I, oh my I, goodness, yeah, well, I, I had to move down south, um, down to down to Southwood, because um, I I used to live pretty centrally, and I was going to uh, a, ju- a junior high school uh, pretty centrally still. I didn't want to leave that junior high school, uh, and so I ended up having a lot of commutes that year, and I listened to a lot more Flames games on the radio than I usually would have. And, and the Flames weren't very good that year. They would, I think they were fourth last year. They were, they were 26th in the league that year, I think. Um, but I, I always appreciated listening to, uh, to that combination on the radio. I thought it was very good. Um, and it was, yeah, it was, it was a difficult year. Um, and I, I actually wound up on breakfast television again that year because uh, they, had, they had me back on at the beginning of that uh, in September of that year to surprise me with, uh, they, they brought TJ Galliardi uh, out to out to out to ranchmans uh, on McLeod, nice. on McLeod Trail, and they yeah. had me ride their their horse out there uh, about five years before I should have, uh, and they had TJ uh, give me this jersey uh, and and a whole bunch of other stuff, and it was that was a, a a meaningful start to a meaningful flame season that even though it might not have been meaningful to most people, it was it was meaningful to me. Uh, and and, right. and you and Peter were a big part of that season, so I just want to say thank you for that. Well, I um, appreciate that. Yeah, so you started to work with Derek, Derek Wills, the next year, um, and uh, 
and that was that I think it was it was new for everybody uh, to, to, to listen to Derek on the radio instead of Peter and uh, but I, I personally think that the Derek has done a pretty good job or a, a very good job of taking over from a, a role that that nobody I mean it's how, how can anybody take over from a guy like Peter Marr right I mean no it's uh, hard to uh, it, it doesn't get much more difficult than well, following yeah. a wedge in the local market it just that's that's a very 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 tough act. Yeah, I've gotten into listening to some some more baseball highlights. Like I've I've started watching some old baseball games lately, and I I always like watching L.A. Dodgers games, uh, old L.A. Dodgers games because they had Vince Scully calling them, uh, and he just had that sort of that same reassuring, uh, informed tone that I always that I always got from Peter, um, and. And yeah, it's just a hard act for anybody to follow up. And the guy, the new guy in LA, is 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 stepping into some big shoes, and I think he's doing it pretty well. And I think I think Derek has done a very good job. And and listening to you and, and Derek over the years, I mean, I remember that 2014-15 season, the first year that you two were the the yeah. duo on on the Fan 960. That was a very memorable season for many many reasons. And uh, I mean, just talk. Let's let, let's talk about what that first season was like, uh, taking over from from Peter and, and you and moving on to you and Derek on the radio because you sure had a good team to call that year and I'm sure it was a, a great experience. Well, it was a lot of fun. You know, that group that had 10 combined wins trailing going into the third period, there wasn't a lot prior, you know, to the start of the season as far as felt out of the year. They played with house money. There weren't a lot of, lot of expectations and, um, you know, I, I'd known Derek a little bit. Our past had crossed when I, in the early 2000s, Sportsnet was doing a number of American Hockey League games, and Derek was the long voice of the Hamilton Bulldogs mm-hmm. before the American League before he became the voice of the Flames. So there was there was some familiarity, but yeah, it was uh, you know for me still trying to learn my way as being a lifelong play-by-play type. Uh, moving on to the other side of the booth and trying to continue to own my craft and, and then doing it with somebody new and somebody that, you know, I fully understood with my time in Calgary and understanding for him, I think maybe more so than he did in the early going about what that challenge might be like. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden seven seasons later we're, we're still cooking away, and it's been uh, it's it's been a good run. We've the one thing about Derek and I is I'm not quite sure why this happened. It's not always the case, mm-hmm. um, but our chemistry on the air is I felt has always been good, almost from day one, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's you know I when I listen sometimes and listen to a lot of, a lot of other shows and whatever, you know, I, I think that we've always had pretty good chemistry on the air when we've done games. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it the early years for him, it, it's not easy. It's yeah. not easy. And then you've also, as part of your transition, you're also working with someone who, uh, you know, has been in your shoes before too. As far as now, you're working with another former play-by-play guy. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud, Mike, of the work that we have 
done together. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, for, for whatever reason, um, and Derek and I, I have no trouble telling you this, you know, I mean, we're very different in terms of some of our likes and personality and, um, but you know, I, I'm really proud of, of the work that we've done together as a broadcast team. And, you know, the one thing about Derek that I knew very early in meeting him is, you know, that calling hockey is just something that he loves so, so much. And it matters to him so, so much. And I've always just hoped that, you know, having done it a lot myself, um, and I think and I think that helped us in the sense that, you know, being in the other chair for the majority of my career, although all of a sudden I'm seven years into being, you know, on the color side of things, mm-hmm. I think that what really helped me too and then helped our chemistry was when you have a pretty good idea what the guy beside you needs to accomplish or get done, I think that can be, you know, very helpful in the sense that, you know, you might have an easier feel for knowing when to get out or jump in and so Right. Yeah, it's been it's been a it's been a really, really good run. Well, I'm glad to hear that. I mean I I can tell yeah. from listening that it that it feels like a good partnership. Uh just just from it listening. It, it it's it sounds like a natural team to me and um you you guys have had the, the fortune to call, I think a decent renaissance in terms of the Flames' uh, performance. Before you came onto the radio, you, they had uh, five, 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 six years in a row where they didn't make the playoffs. And, and since you've come on, they've made the playoffs three, three times before this year, uh, f- for a fourth time, sort of this year. Uh, so it's sort of a, a gray area situation. Yeah, depending, depending on how you look at qualifying for the play-in round, I guess they're not technically. Yeah, but yes. um, to, to me, it's. You know, no matter what happens against Winnipeg, if indeed that series does get played in August or late July or period, mm-hmm. um, it's nice that they've broken, you know, a decade-long trend of being back in meaningful hockey past the regular season, back-to-back for the first time in a decade. Yeah. So that's that's a good thing. Well, you want to talk about decade-long streaks. Next year, maybe they can target winning a season opener. Uh, which they have not done since 2009. Yeah, that hasn't uh, come so easy, has it? No, it certainly hasn't. Uh, much to my own chagrin, but uh, the Calgary Flames' uh, season this year was just one to behold. I mean, they made... People, I think, might have expected big, sweeping changes after their uh, sort of unceremonious defeat at the hands of the Colorado Avalanche uh, in in the 2019 playoffs. and. Instead, they made one one trade in the off season, uh, which I think was a, a few uh, a couple fewer than people expected them to make. But I think it was a big trade, both literally and figuratively, for the team. And earlier, you talked about guys who who are are big personalities and who are who are who are integral in making a team tick. And that you were talking about Mark Andre Fleury. Um, but I want to talk to you, because I've talked to a couple other guys. I talked to Eric Francis on the show. I talked to Ryan Leslie on the show about the Milan-Lucic acquisition for the Flames. But I, I want to hear what you have to say about Milan-Lucic as a person and as his impact to the game goes with the Calgary Flames. Well, I've known Milan for a long time. I was lucky enough to watch a lot of his junior games. I called... He and the Vancouver Giants winning the 2007 Memorial Cup 
got to know him even better later that when one of my career highlights happened a lot of people don't remember it but in 2007 um, in tribute to the 1972 Canada-Russia series, mm-hmm. they had an eight-game junior version of the Canada-Russia, called it a super series, and Milan Lucic was the captain of that Canadian team, so a very, very special, special to a certain degree, bond with a lot of the guys that played on that particular team. You just you spend a month with them, and you know, you go to Russia, and we went to three different places, and, you know, there's a couple things with Milan, and that is the uh, first time I ever watched, and I did two Memorial Cups that he played in because Vancouver won the league in 2006, so saw a lot of them, got to know them, and for me, this was just someone that you wanted to have on your team. Mm-hmm. Fiercely competitive, um, really thrived in big situations, um, you know, in playoff runs in junior. Uh, we saw what happened and what a huge part he was of the Boston Bruins Stanley Cup championship in 2011. And, you know, uh, I, I have such fondness. He, he's been through a lot, and, and that's the thing about him that I don't think people focus on enough. He lost his dad a few years ago mm-hmm. um, in a tragic way. Um, I truly believe that, uh, you know, how would it not have just, and and they were really close, Mm -hmm. you know, and being around a lot in junior, he and his dad were incredibly, incredibly close. And, you know, the best way I would describe it, Mike, is is this, and, and for a lot of people, you know, when you love it as much as he does, and he loves it, and and he, if and I, I'd like to spend more time with him than I'm lucky enough to. And you know, Ryan is the guy on the team that you know he does such an awesome job talking about Ryan Leslie about getting to know the players. Mm-hmm. He knows these guys probably personally better than anybody in the Calgary media. That's the kind of relationships that he's forged. But um, I think I think in Milan's case. There's been a lot there. There's been a lot to unpack, grieve, and, you know, after he left Boston and then he was in L.A., what I what I truly believe, and he's, he's somewhat talked about it, and he had that great interview this year on After Hours with Scott Oak, right. um, that, you know, for a lot of us, when times are tough, and if you've had some real tough times in your life, well... For him, especially after his dad left, it was something that he was so good at and he loved. Well, hockey is a happy place, so Mm -hmm. it can get you away from some of the bad stuff. I've been a believer that when things for him started to go sour in Edmonton, well, all of a sudden now you're dealing with this incredible loss. Your career isn't going the way that you want. There's unbelievable pressure in a Canadian market where they've invested a lot in you. And I just I just truly believe that for an emotional, caring, passionate guy, I, I'm of the belief for a while it was just too much. Mm-hmm. And, and, and hockey wasn't a happy place anymore. And I think he even made mention on that interview this year that there was times early in the year that, you know, he was re- starting to question whether it was time. So... Um, 
I'm a big fan. I, I've always been a big fan. Um, can't even imagine, you know, what was for him to lose his dad in that way. And um, and if you listen to me on a semi or regular basis, you'll know that as much as I love to talk about hockey, and I love hockey, I love sports, mm-hmm. and I love hockey at all levels. As long as I'm lucky enough to have a platform, Mike, to be on the air, I, in my daily analysis, I, I always try to remind people that they're people. Yeah. And and things happen to people. And those experiences, they make a difference. And they're hard. And people have to battle back. And, uh, you know, if you've been through some stuff in your life, and I've been through some ups and downs and things in my life, um it can be a really hard place to be when that happy place that a has done so much for you. Now all of a sudden doesn't feel that way. And I, and I truly believe in his case, I'm not sure that was the answer you were looking for on him, but that's, that's the thing to think about. So I, I cheer hard for him. And the other thing, I'm sure both these guys, certainly Ryan would have probably talked to you about this because he knows them really well now. Mm-hmm. They've spent some real quality time together. Is what I, what I love about things I've seen about Milan this year is I've seen him take Dylan Dubé. I've seen him take mm-hmm. young guys under his wing. It matters to him. He, he's good at it. He, he cares about the game. He cares about the young guys. He wants to help other people get better. And, um, you know, he has a great relationship that he struck in his time with Boston with with the coach, Jeff Ward. And mm-hmm. what I always remind people of, it's pretty easy. And when I was younger, I probably thought more along the same lines because I didn't have this kind of time, knowledge, or especially experience. There's so more that goes hand-in-hand to making somebody successful than just goals and assists and points. Yeah, It runs so much deeper than people will ever understand in terms of building a culture, knowing how to win, what it takes, what the price you have to pay in order to do it, because maybe this is a way, because... You know, to, to maybe kind of get close to with you over in the buck twenty range is one of my statements is this: you don't win, in my opinion, with best players. You win with the right best players, and to me, those are two very different things. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. It's it's always about fit with with guys on a team. A, a guy like Milan Lucic. I mean, if you if you even looked at the Flames roster this summer with Garnet Hathaway leaving the team, I mean, I don't think it can be understated just how important Garnet Hathaway was to the team's construction last year. He was a guy who a lot of people might not have realized was was really that important, but he, I think he was. And then you bring Milan Lucic in, and that's that's your replacement. And then that frees up room for the guys like the Dylan Dubes and the Andrew Mangiapanis to move up on the right side. Yeah, I mean, talking about fit, but then talking about fit on a personal he's one. level too. He's one. Yes. That's that. He's one, and being a mentor matters to him. Yeah. So, not everything wins. It's in 
hard. Everybody wants to, but not everybody knows how to or is in a position to do it. He did it in junior. He did it in the National Hockey League. And I'm a big believer, too, that when it starts happening on a regular basis or somewhat regular, it's not an accident. Mm -hmm. It's not an accident. So, you know, whether you like the contract, don't. Whether you're a fan of the player, um, they were looking for a deterrent. They didn't really have one. They didn't really necessarily have that kind of player since Derek Anglin left. Yeah. I, I really feel like they valued that and valued that type of person. And then on top of that, you know, we'll see how things go for Milan and, and how much longer and how his world goes, and I wish him nothing but the best. But your ability to develop and grow your team has a lot to do with how you teach your younger people. Yeah. And I saw it this year with my own two eyes on a lot of different occasions. Yeah. And it matters. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I've been, I'm not going to pretend like I've been on any sort of uh, great hockey team in terms of level, but it's, it's the same, I think, at every level. When you're on any sort of team, there has to be a guy there to bring you into the fold and to make make you feel comfortable there. And from what you've said, it sounds like Lucic is that guy for the Flames. So, well, he, cer- he, he certainly is in a lot of different ways. And as I mentioned, Mike, he's he's absolutely had a real huge impact. Some right. of the people that we've talked about, the Dubays, the Mangiapanis, you know, it just. It matters, Dan. It really does. Well, thanks for your insight on that. I really appreciate that. Um, because yeah, I, 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 am not in. I'm. I, I don't talk to these guys, but you guys do, and it's, no. it's it's the perspective that this show is all about. And I, I really appreciate you giving me that answer. Now, I want to talk about um maybe one last player on the team uh, before we we call it a day, and and that's a guy who I think has been a, a source of a lot of debate on the Flames uh, over over the past year. Uh, maybe debate that people might not have seen coming after he put up 99 points in the regular season last year. Uh, looked like a world beater for a lot of games. Put up six points in a, in a game, five points in games. Uh, had incredible chemistry with Sean Monahan and Elias Lindholm. Uh, and then the playoffs happened, and ever since then, I think a lot of people don't know if he's been quite the same. Uh, and, and that's Johnny Gaudreau, uh, who I think was a beacon of light for the franchise in 20, 2014 when he came along in the NHL. It was certainly a guy who made the Saddledome crowd louder than it had been for quite a few years. Um, but there are some people who think that it might be time to move on from Johnny Gaudreau, who has just two years left on his contract uh, that pays him a very reasonable $6.75 million a season. Um, but... I want to hear your take on what you think. Because for me, looking at the Johnny Gaudreau situation, I see three options. Either you trade him, you let him walk, or you extend him. Uh, and I'm not sure if, if you agree with that with, with those three options. and or, or, or if you do, which option, if you were the GM of the team, would you perhaps take? Well, I'd probably answer it this way, so I will. Okay. Um, Johnny Johnny is is a polarizing guy. Um, again, with his great play, 
he set some really high expectations, and he set some really high expectations for himself. Yeah. And with that comes a lot of expectation. With that comes a lot of pressure. And, you know, you mentioned, Mike, the playoffs. I'd probably go all the way back to the mandated CBA break in early February as to when he and that line, you know, really never connected. I mean, they they look like the Globetrotters basically – leading up to that point, not this season, but last season. Oh, it was unbelievable. So, um, listen, um, Johnny loves to play hockey, and and maybe it's a a nice place to go in the sense that from the the guy that I have watched to the guy that I've watched a lot this year, although I thought he finally started to look more like himself, you know, in the last month or a couple of months, prior to COVID shutting everything down is Johnny just, he played like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders. It just, his body language didn't look like he was having a lot of fun. To be honest, he was frustrating to watch. I didn't think he was anywhere near as engaged Mm -hmm. as he needed to be. And I think for the first time in Johnny's career, and Johnny has exceeded so many people's expectations, um, his great skill, but the game got hard. And it changed. And and I don't think that was easy for him to handle. And it's not easy. It's like we've talked about it's been one of the themes. Uh, you know, it's easy when things are going good and you're riding high and everything's working. But the better you get, the higher the expectations and the more that is asked of you. And that pressure that you put on yourself and other people put on you can sometimes you want it so bad that almost I find people can paralyze themselves. Yeah. Think you're working and doing it all the right way and you're mad and you're angry and you're not necessarily putting your energies all in the right way. And it's a lesson, you know, we all I think well and you'll come up against it at some point, you know, in your life. I know I certainly have. And then that and that was a place I had to dig out of in a lot of ways after 2011. Yeah. Um, so, you know, Johnny's an easy guy to target. I'd probably take it one more step, Mike, in closing. Is And, and I don't know how they're going to go. Just because I truly feel like this was a really important season for this team. They've been in the playoffs enough lately. Their core group has been in the playoffs enough. Like, for certain guys, it's time. Mm-hmm. At certain time, at certain, for certain guys, it's time. And it's hard. It's time. And that's the difference between winning and losing. How good can you be when it's the hardest to be good? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's... I. There's no doubt in my mind that Brad has done a wonderful job building this team. I, I'm a ma- not a big fan. I'm a massive fan. Um, believe in the plan. Believe in so much of what he's built and where this team is heading. headed. I think it's in pretty darn good shape. But, you know, when things come back, if they come back, I can't lie to you, there's going to be a few guys, and Johnny Gaudreau would be one of them, that, you know, Let's see. Yeah, it's time. It's time. Well, and I, I and, think, yeah, you know, we'll see. 
you know, everybody always wants to kind of write guys off when it's hard. Well, you got to be careful when you do that too. Oh, for sure. And, and I think a big testament to how Johnny does, uh, is uh, there, he's had a lot of periods of struggle. Uh, He's had, he's not a lot, but he's had a couple periods of struggle in his career where, you know, he came back after holding out and missed that training camp and, and for a couple months, it just it wasn't going right for Johnny. I remember he scored his first goal of the season, or uh, first goal after a big break against the Anaheim Ducks, and it was it was a, a fluttering shot from the point, and and it looked like he was relieved to even score that one. And it took him a couple months, but I think he was able to sort of push through that and reinvent himself a little bit coming off of that one. And there there have been guys in Johnny's situation who have been able to reinvent themselves a little bit, and I wonder if. I wonder how Johnny is going to approach that going forward because I, I look at there's there's undersized guys who have been able to come up when it matters most, guys like Marty San Luis, guys like Zach Parise, uh, and those are guys who have been able to lead their teams to the Stanley Cup Finals and and guys people I've seen people say that Johnny's too small to to do it in the playoffs, but I don't think the, the I don't think his height is going to be the prerequisite. I think it's going to be if he's able to uh, craft himself as a guy who is. I, I don't even know what it is, but just who has that playoff je ne sais quoi. I mean, you look at a guy like Danny Briere, who who wasn't the biggest guy in the world, but he put up 30 points in the playoffs one year just because he knew how to get to the right areas and he knew how to battle with with the right guys. And I, I Johnny's a battler, don't get me wrong, but I, I don't I don't know what it is uh, with with him in the well, playoffs. Well, it's just it's it's part of it's part of going through the process. Yeah, it's part of it's part of maturing. It's Part of a lot of times taking the most important step is when it doesn't go well, you generally, most of the time, Mike, have a decision to make. Mm -hmm. And the decision to be made is when things in your life aren't going the way you want, what are you going to do different? You know, a, a dear friend of mine talks a lot and has made such a massive difference the last few years in my life just talking about when we're frustrated when things aren't going the way we want are we doing different or are we running the same play all the time expecting a different type of result mm-hmm. and that's it's 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 not easy to go through those times and you know, we could talk for three days, and I'd probably never get to exactly where you want to go, or maybe where I want to go. But it's it's always important for me in this these forums to you know be crystal clear about that it isn't easy, and your ability to battle through adversity. And I don't think you get anywhere without some adversity, and your will, and your want, and your desire, and your ability to do different Mm -hmm. and I also believe this sometimes people think it should be easier for good players to regain their confidence I've always believed it's the opposite because in a lot of cases good players don't question their confidence or their game very often so when they do I think it's harder to dig your way out of than maybe, you know, somebody of a, you know, third or fourth line type who has known nothing but 
having to fight and battle, and it doesn't come easy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, that that's a really good point, and I think, yeah, the guys who are used to having that success, it's just, it's so hard to... To, 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 to sometimes change the, the way you've thought about something and has given you that relentless success for years. And with Johnny, I mean, yeah, I talked about the 2016-17 season being a bit of a trying time, but I think this is even more of a trying time for oh, Johnny. Oh, for and I'm, not even close. Yeah, and I, and I would, I would be, I would be, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to follow his career, whether it be in Calgary or elsewhere, because he's just, he's always, he was, he was one of the most exciting guys for me to watch. And I still think he's a very exciting player when he's on. And, and I, I hope he, I, I, for, from a fan's perspective, I hope he turns it around in Calgary from a hockey fan's perspective. I hope he turns it around wherever he plays going forward. Um, the last thing I want to talk to you about today, Peter, uh, and I want to just, first of all, just thank you for being such a good guest on this show. I mean, I wouldn't have expected anything else, but uh, I feel like I haven't given you enough of a test on prospects um, because I think, I think I don't know if you would say it, but I'm sure other people have said that prospects are uh, your bread and butter uh, when it comes to talking about hockey. Is that right? Well, it's, it's something I have, I have incredible passion for and incredible interest. I will say that uh, it, it's not quite as easy as back in the day when you know junior was truly my number one focus and mm-hmm. my travels and the games I did put me more in position because I'm a big believer in seeing guys the most you can with your own two eyes but uh, no I, I like to fancy myself as somebody who does an okay job <laughs> yeah I love it I love it all right. Well, I had um, I had Ryan Pike on the show um, a couple of weeks ago, uh, mm-hmm. and we talked quite a bit about prospects. Um, we talked about a couple of guys. We talked about Seth Jarvis from the Portland Winterhawks. We talked about uh, Jacob Perot from the Sarnia Sting uh, as two guys who the Flames, if they pick in that sort of mid-teens level of the draft, which is still to be determined uh, based on you know what they do in the first round of the playoffs. In the in the sorry, I should say the the play-in round. Uh, of the quasi playoffs, um, I mean, it's possible that they could even draft first overall. I mean, it's crazy how that's supposed to be working out this year. But um, I'm wondering if if either of those two guys have stuck out to you. Who who are the guys who watching junior hockey this year uh, have come around to you as being potential fits for the Calgary Flames? If for they the Calgary so, Flames, if the, yeah, if they so choose to uh, to use their first round pick this year to uh, to well, add a prospect. There's, there's lots of guys. You talked about Seth Jarvis. Yeah. Um, I think so highly of this guy. Let's just say for for this conversation's sake, let's say the Flames pick 15 or 16. Sure. I'm not sure he'll still be available. I've, I've talked to people. Um, I'm a massive fan of this right winger, the Fox, who had a meteoric ride here. Um, you know, I've followed him going back to his 15-year-old season when I watched him play for Manitoba at the Western Hockey League Cup tournament. Um, this, this is a guy that I think if some pass, like, let's say he gets to 20 or 25, I think I think there'd be some teams that wish that they jumped up earlier. So I'd love to see that. Um, Braden Schneider, the fine defenseman with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Caden Gooley, a defenseman with the Prince Albert Raiders would be guys that I think might fall in the Flames' wheelhouse in that position if they decided to go 
on the defensive side of things. Another guy that I'm interested just because, you know, I'd love to see the Flames find potentially some more top six type forwards, especially right-handed shooting right wingers, which that is what Seth Jarvis is. Mm -hmm. Another guy that intrigues me that I was able to see a couple of times, even with my own eyes this year, is a guy by the name of Jack Quinn, who Mm -hmm. put up 52 goals with the Ottawa 67s. Now, you know, he played with the leading scorer with the Ottawa 67s CHL and a guy by the name of Marco Rossi who could be a top pick when that draft is held eventually some point I'm guessing in the fall the way things are going now but uh, I was really impressed with him in my couple of viewings just his his ability to see the ice to find open holes he has a great release I, I really like his instincts both with the puck and without the puck so he's another guy that that really intrigues me in that spot. The, the one overall thing, and you know, Mr. Pike, the young guy that he does, that mind works in a lot of different ways, and I've had some great conversations with him over the last few years. Um, I really like this draft. Yeah. I really think, Mike, that no matter what you pick in round one, you, you have a chance to land yourself a pretty darn good. And I, I'm really fascinated feeling like I have a good good feel for a lot of the guys in the group so I don't think the Flames will be disappointed they'll have a tough time in the grouping of players making a decision but they'll they'll have good people even if they're picking somewhere 15 to 20 that they'll have a chance to get their hands on somebody that I think uh, will become part of the NHL in probably the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. Well, I I I'm, I was lucky enough actually uh, to watch Jack Quinn a couple of times because I, I lived in Ottawa uh, in 2018-19. I was going to Carleton University. Um, yes. And uh, I I remember going to a couple of 67s games and there were a couple of guys who really stood out to me and one of them was Sasha Chimilevsky who's property of the San Jose Sharks but mm-hmm. uh, he's a very good player. Uh, but another one was Jack Quinn and he was 16 years old and. He was one of the guys who just stood out to me, and I remember watching him and saying, "That guy's younger than me," uh, which was which was something that I, uh, I, I it was one of the first times I've, I've I've watched a hockey game and 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 been able to actually say that it was it was a bit of a jarring moment for me, uh, but yeah, and and he he's much better than me at hockey too. He's he's a, he's a very very good uh, goal scorer for sure, and he's very strong with the puck. I agree with what you said about that. Um, yeah, and I, from what I've heard from you, from from Ryan, from guys all over the internet, this should be a very good draft. Um, and, it is a good draft. Uh, and I'm, I'm I'm hopeful from a Flames perspective and from the league perspective. I mean, there's n- there's never anything wrong with having a big influx of, of talent, especially with a 32nd team on the way. So uh, it'll be uh, it'll be really interesting to watch this draft class, as as is the case with all draft classes. And I I'm sure you'll be on the top of that. So. Uh, Anyway, I think that'll uh, that'll do it for our conversation here on the podcast today. Uh, but Peter Labardius, everybody, this has been uh, Peter Labardius from the Fan Nine Sixty. Thank you so much, Peter, for coming on the show. I really couldn't thank you more. You're welcome, Mike. Thanks so much for uh, having me, and uh, best of luck with your future. Thank you very much, and you too. I uh, look forward to hearing you call more 
games uh, for the Calgary Flames on the Fan 960. Everybody, you can uh, listen to the Fan 960 here in Calgary. Uh, great radio station filled with all sorts of great personalities, Peter included. Uh, that'll do it for today's June 8th episode of Mike Gould Talks. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and have a great day.